Insider brought to you by Don Valley North Lexus, where you can expect excellence online. And in the showroom, visit DonValleyNorthLexus.com. Frank Saravelli, NHL Insider and President of Hockey Content at DailyFaceOff.com. Our condolences, Frank, for the Super Bowl loss and to the city of Philadelphia for the last 100 days of losing. How are you feeling this morning? Oh, yeah, thanks for rubbing it in. I was just beginning to get over it. <laughs> well, unfortunately, we have to make our shots while we can. Um, do you like DJ Khaled? Another one. There you, See, go. I, there you go. See, Frank can do it and you it's won't. A, here we go. This is like, this is me. Anytime I do a, a hit, I'm like, ooh, another one there of trade go. requests. Like, hey, what are, we, what are we talking trades today? What do you got? Okay. Well, <laughs> do we have some trades for you? <laughs> No, I don't, I don't know if we can, I don't know if we can what leave you, what do you with want? that. Well, we have to. Come on. Okay. Just get it the, out of the, the way. The exercise was today, can we make a trade out of the Chicago Blackhawks and the Maple Leafs? Can the two Kyles get to the table Ooh. once again? Uh, and I think the only thing we really found of value, like the only thing that kind of interests us is Jake McKay, maybe Jake McCain, McKay about a retained salary. Uh, but, you know, we had to go the full mile and actually include Patrick Kane in, in at least one of these trades. Do you want to hear the the crazy one? Please. Uh, well, I'm down for the crazy one, but before you do that, I would say if there is to be a package deal, my guess is it would be McCabe and Sam Lafferty. Mm-hmm. Oh, oh, Justin Sam, oh you know Sam Lafferty. Lafferty's involved. Sam Lafferty is very, very involved. Oh, okay, this one, all right, so there, do tell. Spill the deets. There's like 15 pieces to this. Okay, so first, good. Patrick oh, Kane God. goes to the Arizona Coyotes, retained salary, of course, because uh, we need a double retention on Patrick Kane if he's going to play for the Toronto Maple Leafs. Okay, so with that all said and done, to Toronto. Patrick Kane, Jake McCabe, Max Domi. A lot of, uh, you know, leaf lore there between McCabe and Domi. Uh, Lafferty. So Kane, Domi, McCabe, do you, Lafferty. Do you want to send, like, Connor Murphy yeah, and sure. six other guys? No, no, like, I don't, oh, don't want to get It gets too, worse, Frank. Hold I don't on. Want, well, it doesn't get worse. Aww. I mean, this is... This like, is, come on. If you're going to do it, at least make it realistic. Exactly. I mean, if you're going to get all four of those guys, it's going to have to involve some pieces that Chicago might want. Ailish? Okay. Yeah, there's something. Okay, so Matthew Nyes has to go. Nyes, Sandine, Kerfoot, Simmons, Travis Boyd is involved because of the retention. First round pick and a second round pick. So Nyes, Sandine, a bunch of fluff, first and second uh, for Kane, McKay, Domi, Lafferty. When I say it out loud, actually, this is a steal for the Maple Leafs. I was going to say, guess who says no? It would be the Leafs. Well, yes. Yes. But Chicago probably says no, too. Uh... Probably not. If you're getting Nyes and a first and a second, I'd say they say yes. You think all of their prospects, everything that they have on the table, like their their main chips, McCabe, Domi, Kane, Lafferty. You don't think all told, if they go four separate deals, they can't get more than Nyes, a first and a second? No. Really? Okay. No, I, I think the truth is between Kane, McCabe, and Lafferty, they're hoping to get at least one first round pick out of that group. And if they could do that from a combined perspective that they would almost certainly do that. Hmm. That's interesting. I I just don't think the Leafs would do it. We just heard Kyle Dubas say a couple days ago, it feels like that they're not going to, they're, they're unlikely to be in the rental market for one. Yes. Two, they really don't want to trade Matt Nye's. And three, if they can, they'd like to hang on to their first-round pick. Yes, definitely. And I, and I agree. So you're I'm, going against all the rules. Uh, we're going against the rules, but, like, I, I think the rules... Ailish, does this guy follow any rules? Buddy, the no. Rule, no, the rules are broken when you, when you go listening. into a... If it's full measures, 
yeah, you invest everything, right? If you're going to find a trade partner that is going to help you for multiple seasons, not just a rental, because yes, Patrick Kane's the headliner, but I'm talking Jake McCabe retained for three years, Domi, who helps you this year and fills something you need, and Lafferty, you get one more year. So at least there is something that hangs around. But the fact of the matter is, when I was putting this trade together, I can't not include Nye's to include Patrick Kane. And after watching Patrick Kane last night, I think it's worth wondering what his value mm-hmm. actually is. I mean, you laid it out. You don't know if he's, you're going to get a first, a nice like prospect in a second for all four of those assets. Has Patrick Kane sort of backed himself into a corner here where, yeah, he's talked about New York and we've heard whispers of Toronto, um, but it doesn't seem like he's with the season he's having a spot like he had last night where he does not play well. Like, is he kind of like playing himself out and talking himself out of even getting dealt at all. Yes. And and I would say it has more to do with his play. And in fact, his hip injury that is really diminishing the return and the tradeability factor. I mean, look at, so you guys saw him up close last night, but then the previous night, he, he looked just as bad. Mm. And now that's four straight games without a point. And teams are openly questioning the injury, but also just how much is it, of it is the hip, how much of it is the ongoing speculation that might be eating him up. So I think those are two really interesting factors to consider. I don't know the answer, um, but I do not think, if even if he is to get traded, and it's all going to depend on the list that he provides and and his eagerness to go, I don't think he's in a first round pick territory with his where his game is right now. And I certainly don't think, you know, you if you're if you're looking at it from a prospect perspective that it's even an A-level prospect like a Matt Nice. It's tough to separate because he's obviously a legendary player. He's been captain clutch at times, but he, it's the recency bias. We thought we saw him last night and he didn't look great. But if he hasn't looked great for a little while, and admittedly we don't watch so much Chicago Blackhawks hockey because we don't need to torture ourselves like that. But it's tough. Um, last night he didn't speak to the media and like it consciously made that decision. Um, I wonder that would have been obviously a pretty heavily attended media availability. Mm-hmm. There would have been a lot of questions about mm, Toronto and like, would you like it here and stuff? What do you make of the decision just to say, I'm, I'm punting this. I don't want to talk to the media tonight. Well, I think he kind of spilled his guts when he talked about the Rangers, right? Mm -hmm. And how that sort of was a gut punch for him. And I think what it's done behind the scenes is it it has lit a fire under him to try and figure this out, that this decision that you were kind of hoping to punt until the last minute, you got to get it together. Like you have to move forward and begin to have these conversations. And I'm told that in the days since then, that due diligence process from the Kane camp and perspective is is well underway, that he is looking at some of the other teams out there, whether it's Edmonton or Dallas or or go through the list, that he's beginning to have those those conversations with people around him to say, what would it be like if I was here? What is the outlook for the team? Th- those are all questions that he's beginning to ask. The problem is teams would have already liked to have had an answer. And then you see a team like the Rangers, which don't even wait for one and basically say by nature of his play and the injury, we, like we just can't go down that path. So I do think that there's a real fear factor when it comes to that injury. And I also think when you look at it from the other side, the, the Jonathan Taves perspective, 
he's he's falling out of my trade targets top 10 today, which mm-hmm. is going to be posted shortly at Daily Faceoff. And the reason for that is with this illness and the time that he's missed and and frankly the time that he may continue to miss, his his value is also plummeting in a, in a way that um teams are really concerned about what they might be getting. So is there opportunity here with Chicago then? Like Patrick Kane is not doing uh, his best job boosting his trade value. Jonathan Taze is slipping out of your top 10. But if these guys do show up on the last day and the Chicago keeps losing and these guys keep playing poorly, could Patrick Kane just say, hey, I, I, send me to Edmonton. Find a, find a way. He got 48 hours. Please send me to Edmonton. There's responsibility well, here, right? Is there responsibility? He wants to do it. Kyle Davidson wants to move these guys, you would think. But is there responsibility just to do what they want you to yes. do? Yeah, ultimately, Yes. These are franchise pillars whose numbers are going to be in the rafters and there's going to be a statue of the two of them out in front of the building. Whatever they say, you make it happen if you can. And that's why I think the Blackhawks have been way more focused on the return for McCabe and Lafferty because they know that whatever happens with Kane and Taves is such an unknown that they're not really banking on it one way or the other in terms of factoring that into their rebuild. Their thought process is whatever we get for these guys, if they decide to go, will be gravy. And that's probably the proper way to look at it, given all of the unknown factors that they're not twisted in a knot here, sitting sitting here saying, well, uh, you know, waiting on pins and needles of are these guys going to go? Are they not? What are we going to get? The, the factors are all sort of limiting and out of their hands to the point where they're just kind of along for the ride and and ready to grant some wishes if and when it gets to that point. This kind of feels like an important moment for, I don't know, NHLPA, uh, the players as a group. I'm not really sure, but this is a moment in time where two players can kind of call their shot. They have a lot of power. And if they choose not to use it, I, I just it's just another example of, uh, you know, players not being able to do and follow maybe what they're... And maybe they are following what they really yeah, truly I was, want. Yeah, I'm going to say, I, I'm going to quibble around. with that. But like... I don't know. I don't want to compare it to the NBA, but you've got two players. Maybe they don't want to go, but the fact of the matter is they're going to have to go eventually, you would think, because eventually they do lose their power. But right now they have power, and I feel like it'd be a shame if they didn't use it. Well, maybe they don't want to use it. Like, I I would totally disagree with that notion. They earned this ability contractually to say no and not do anything if they don't want to. Yes, but the power is gone at the end of the season. And Chicago could be like, well, you wanted to be here, but we don't want you anymore. And then where does that leave you? Well, that's the other end of it. We don't know what that conversation would be like yet. And I don't think it's been had yet. And mm-hmm. until then, probably unfair to speculate on it. But I would Certainly. imagine at some point, you know, they, they that's the other. That's, again, going back to what I was saying about the Blackhawks and their approach to this. If that is their choice, they knew that going in, that it was a possibility, and they're okay with it. Mm -hmm. Uh, You kind of hinted this a little bit when we're talking about the trade, but just, I guess, to separate it from the stupid trade that I presented. Jake McCabe's value league-wide, like how how are scouts viewing him? What sort of return? Where does he land? Where is he on your top 10? Jake McCabe, what sort of ripple can he make here? A big one, and that's why they're so focused on McCabe and Lafferty. So I'll start with McCabe, and he's a cost-controlled, steady defenseman who already had a reasonable cap hit and term two years times $4 million. 
and now they're willing to retain half to juice that return. They're looking to get into the first round pick range for McCabe. Um, and if they can do that, they're willing to eat half, I believe, and and move him. And that's a significant piece for a team because you consider going to market this summer, trying to find a defenseman that can play at McCabe's level for two years times two million. It's going to be really difficult to do. And that's the bet that the Blackhawks are making at the deadline is that you won't be able to do better than this in the summer and you get to get this guy for a playoff run as well. So that's one part of it. Sam Lafferty, the interest has has been significant. I'm told teams that have called the Blackhawks to ask have been told that the the ask is a second-round pick. So they're in a spot where they, again, another guy that has term, another year at you know a million and change, who has a number of different ways to impact the game, whether it's penalty kill, using his elite-level speed, Whatever it may be, those two pieces, and that's exactly why I said if you were to look at it from a Leaf perspective, I, I wouldn't think that it would include Kane, although you'd have to at least consider the, the option or opportunity if he decided that Toronto was a place that he wanted to go. You, you hit all the buzzwords on, on McCabe and Lafferty in that they have term, so they're not rentals. Um they're, they provide elements that the Leafs might not have at this exact moment in time. And they're under team control at, at really reasonable numbers that it would seem to connect a lot of the dots going back to Kyle Dubas's media availability where those two guys would fit like a glove. Okay, so a couple of defensemen being rumored, maybe in the top of your trade targets. We'll have to take a look when you post that at dailyfaces.com. But, I'll give uh, you a preview. Okay, well, where's Jacob Chikrin? Because I'm sick of saying his name. Or Vladislav Gavrikov. <laughs> you are. Yeah. I, I actually went back and watched our, our trade deadline show from last year, and I forgot that Chikrin was also in the top oh, 10 then. Last, like last year's deadline show, we were having the same exact conversation. This time... I'd be shocked if they don't decide to cut the cord and try and wait until the summer. Um, he's already sitting out, as you know, for asset protection. He's up to number two on the board. And and the real interesting wrinkle of the last week is we were just talking about retained salary with McCabe and why that's so attractive. I'm told the Coyotes are willing to entertain that same type of possibility when it comes to Chikorin, which... Teams were already super excited about that $4.6 million deal for the next two years. What if you were able to get him at $3 million or 2.3, whatever the number may be? The cap number is rather insignificant to Arizona. They they need to hit the floor. They need to spend anyway. You might as well retain and juice the trade as much as you can to maybe finally get to the asking price that you had set and circled for Chickering so long ago, whether that's two first-round picks and a prospect or a first-round pick, a first equivalent, and, a, and an A-level prospect. However you want to dice up the return, that's in the neighborhood of what the Coyotes are looking for. Um, I, I, there was obviously a lot of smoke there with the LA Kings. I think depending on who you've talked to, um, they'd say that it's it's died down, but I still think there's interest there. Um, and then, you know, where do you go from there? 
the Leafs interested in any of these guys? Because if they're interested in Jake McCabe and that doesn't work out, is there a separate, is there a ranking of where the Leafs might go in terms of if they want to add a defenseman? Yeah, I would say that the more you're willing to retain, the Leafs would probably be interested in mm-hmm. entertaining at least a thought process or discussion. I, I don't think that they've been, um, you know, sort of at the top of the list among teams that are interested, but I'd say the best way to frame it is probably that they're monitoring the situation. Is it Edmonton or bust for Eric Carlson? You know, I haven't heard another team connected. I think other teams have kicked the tires. Obviously the Ottawa senators have been curious. Um, I, I just think first off, even with Edmonton, it's such a complicated transaction. And I, I think as much as they're interested, they're probably still thinking that this is one of those moves that gets done in the summer, if at all. But I I think the Sharks are going to have to readjust their expectations based on what we know was their previous ask for Carlson. And that's going to be hard to do if they're even interested in retaining more of Carlson to the, you know, 40% range or whatever it might take to get to seven or seven and a half million dollars on the cap. That's a lot of money. Mm Mm-hmm. And, you know, you're going to have to really increase the return in order to entice the Sharks to do that. And it was already a tough ask. I I just, will the Sharks place more of a value on the cap freedom and flexibility that would come with moving off of that contract in order to just make it happen? Do you think the retention piece is more of a Greer thing or an ownership thing? I I don't know the answer to that, actually. From an owner perspective, you'd have to question or at least raise the point of why would we be paying this guy 16 or $20 million, whatever the number ends up being, to go play somewhere else. Um, But I also think there's a risk factor for the Sharks of as well as Carlson is playing this year with that all-world season – does he get to July and turn into a pumpkin again? Like I I think that's a a question that you have to ask given – the injury history and the fact that he's basically playing on a on a bionic ankle and and two the fact that we've got the last few seasons of of history to suggest that he was really a very average defenseman being paid top defenseman in the league money okay last one here for you frank top of the trade list is obviously timo meyer um we assume Oh, yes, something, no, you're correct. Isn't, that's, unless that's something a, drastic happened last night. Um, what's the latest on him? Honestly, nothing really new. It, way more front burner has been Chikrin and, and Vladislav Gavrikov. Um, with Meyer, I, I think the two teams that everyone's had their eye on are the Carolina Hurricanes and the New Jersey Devils. Mm-hmm. Um, probably two different perspectives in the sense that if New Jersey's spending the assets, they're almost definitely going to be signing him to a long-term extension. And I think with Carolina, they would appreciate the optionality that comes with someone like Meyer in the sense that, yeah, you can keep him for a playoff run. They would be one of those teams, I would bet, that would consider just saying, yeah, we'll, we'll sign you to the one-year $10 million qualifying offer. Why not? And then we'll see what happens next before we go any further in terms of uh, a long-term deal where we pay you know, market value or maybe even north of that. So... That's something to consider. Um, but the Sharks are, again, they're asking a, a pretty penny to get uh, to get Timo Meyer, and understandably so with the season. He's had 31 goals in 55 games. But 
it's that contract that's waiting on the other end of it that I think is going to really depress the return with the qualifying offer. What do you think the resale value is on Meyer? Like, let's say a team goes out and acquires him as a rental and then wants to flip him back for assets over the summer. You got the eight-year opportunity. You can sign and trade. Like, what can you estimate it, what that might look like? It depends on the team. You have to have the leverage to be able to sign him to the one-year qualifying offer like a Carolina would, or else it's just a bluff because then they say, well, you'll just let him walk anyway because you're not going to qualify him. And if you're not going to re-sign him to the deal, why would we then pay you assets when we could get him for free on the Mm -hmm. open market as a UFA, which is what would happen if he doesn't get the qualifying offer. So Carolina would have that type of leverage. Not many teams would. And if they were to do that, they might be able to get... 50 cents on the dollar back for what they paid, which is a really interesting proposition considering you'd have Timo Meyer to load up your team for a playoff run and then figure it out again. All right. Well, we'll save our trades for the experts and uh, the GMs. Uh, we'll have more for you next week. And, uh, I don't know what team we're doing, but we'll. Uh, I, I just we'll like what? Team. Can you cook up like a seventeen-player trade, Justin? Like it was like, have our minds to seventeen assets. Here. Ask and you shall receive next Monday. <laughs> I, I, see, I thought I went overboard earlier this week. I had a trade. I played, you know, hockey's love doctor, yes, and I, I played that. the matchmaker <laughs> thing. By the way. Uh, you mentioned Super Bowl off the top. How did I do in, oh, in the yeah. prop pool? Oh, I thought I did. I you not get the? Um, I sent out the results. No, I didn't see them. I could. Was pull I, it up I had in to be bad because I went in on a very. Eagles I was going to say, were you Eagles heavy? Um, yeah. You were one of the first people to actually submit your score. I was excited when I saw. I that. was Eagles heavy too, and I did not do well. Yeah. So if every answer was Eagles slanted, it'd be. Imagine tough. me. I'm. I'm sitting there. I couldn't. Uh, I so I actually went to the game. I, I couldn't get out of my seat. I just I was dumbfounded at that ending and result. That you was got twenty six of fifty six points. That's pretty good. <laughs> so where did I rank? Uh, okay, hold on. You really put me on the spot here. Twenty six um, was the median was twenty four. Yeah, I, I was going to say that was above average. Good for you. That's all I've ever strived for. There you go. <laughs> You're an above average guest every week. Thanks, Frank. <laughs> See you guys. Frank Saravelli, NHL Insider and President of Hockey Content at DailyFaceOff.com. And our insider brought to you by Don Valley North Lexus, where you can expect excellence online in the showroom. Visit DonValleyNorthLexus.com. I mean, there's no better time of year to talk to an insider. Like, there's, there's a lot in that brain of his. There's a lot in that brain of his right now. I'm looking forward have, to our next chat. Gotta have It'll strong be good. shoulders. Yeah. It's time for something to chew on. <laughs> Brought to you by Great Canadian Meats. Yum, yum, yum. All right, let's keep going with the, the trade talk here because our buddy, Elliot Friedman, was on our other buddy, J.D. Bunkus podcast yesterday, right after we got off the airwaves. He spoke about the viability of Maple Leafs pursuing Ryan O'Reilly, who you know I wrote a pretty great poem about. You did. I wonder if... Elliot had a chance to listen to it, probably not. But here is his clip on if the Leafs have legitimate interests or either side to make a deal happen. I think that is somewhat legitimate. If you look at who they're going to play, they're going to play a, play a team that is skilled and is mean, mm-hmm. right? And, you know, you – and that's Tampa. The thing is you can't always play to beat one team because if you win the Stanley Cup, obviously you've got to meet four. Uh, this is a bit unique because they know who they're going to get and there's so much on the line. Like you almost have to sort of knock out the traditional thinking and say – we better be ready to beat this team. You've got to beat them with skill and you've got to beat them with meanness.
business. And I think that's what the Leafs are going to, and O'Reilly can kind of fit with that. But again, I just think the, the question is like, do they think the fit is good? I, I love O'Reilly. I, I, I think he can play anywhere. There you go. I think O'Reilly's making more and more sense. The poem um, got into your heart, didn't it? It, it may have, uh, partly because of what we saw with Patrick Kane, uh, mm-hmm. partly because Timo Meyer seems like it, a far-fetched, unattainable sort of white whale aspect. Um, and Ryan O'Reilly, especially with what Tarasenko fetched, like it's it's not it's not over the top. And I think one thing watching at least Austin Matthews come back and looking at the things that Tampa do well and Boston do well – Maybe you can't be Tampa. Maybe you can't be Boston, and you just have to be the most extreme version of yourself. And if you're the most extreme version of yourself, if you're the Maple Leafs, it's adding to the top six. It's being so good at the top of your roster that you overwhelm teams. And I think Ryan O'Reilly can be a part of that, but in a pinch, maybe playing with a lead, he plays a little lower in the lineup and sort of solidifies things. So I think Ryan O'Reilly has the sort of versatility that can maybe hit a couple buckets, at the same time, uh, and I don't think the price, if retained, will be all that extreme. So it, it does make more sense now that I'm now that we're reaching the finish mm-hmm. line, at least for me. Clinton, Ontario's finest. And we can finally release and unveil Know Your Hamlet. The Hamlet rankings. All right, well, there'll be lots of mumblings and rumblings as we continue approaching the NHL trade deadline. Yesterday, we got a chance to talk to Nick Taylor, Canadian PGA Tour golfer, who obviously was making... Headlines this past weekend at the Waste Management. We spoke to him yesterday, round up that weekend, the craziness of it all, what he might do with that massive chunk of change that he put in his wallet after that performance. To Schmill. To Schmill, we'll take it. Let's try to win you to Schmill on the Wake and Rake. Send in your picks at 590-590. We'll do that at 8.30. Let's take a break and talk to Nick Taylor on the other side. Diving deep into Leafs, Raptors, Jays, and NFL. The J.D. Bunkins Podcast. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Back on the Fan Morning Show, Sportsnet 590. The Fan. Canadian golf is, I don't know if it's having a moment. I feel like it's got to be like a small period of time to just be a moment. Yeah, Brooke Henderson, she is the moment, has Canadian been the golf moment. golf is on the rise with, I think, five players in the top 75, at least on the men's side in the world rankings, now that Nick Taylor's made a little run. Of course, Nick Taylor came second and battled it out with Oof. Scotty Scheffler, the defending champ, and John Rahm in the final round of the Waste Management Open in Phoenix over the weekend. It's been a great weekend for Nick Taylor, partly because he uh, came second in a premium event and took home a big chunk of change, but also while doing the social or the media rounds, he had a chance to catch up with us. We talked about the weekend and everything else with Nick Taylor, one of the rising stars of Canadian golf. A great weekend for you playing in the uh, final pairing or final grouping at the Waste Management Open and coming second to Scotty Scheffler just continues to dominate that event, I guess. How'd you celebrate a uh, a really successful weekend? And let's be honest, a big payday. Yeah, it was pretty low-key. I feel like that's kind of anytime I've had a great week, it's you're so exhausted from, from everything that's happened that you just kind of want to get home and chill. And luckily, you know, last week was a home event for me, so... You know, we rented some pizzas, got ready for the watch the Super Bowl. Um, you know, my caddy, his wife was there, some family, 
um, a couple of, couple of friends too. So pretty low key, but it was fun to kind of decompress at home and, and watch the football. I wanted to ask you about the exhaustion because I assumed you probably were pretty exhausted after that weekend. I mean, like there has to be like an adrenaline dump from the crowd, but also the pressure situation that you're in, everything that goes into that Sunday. And let's be honest, you're probably not talking to us or doing all these interviews. We'd love to talk to you anytime, but you're probably not talking to us if you didn't have such a successful weekend. So like, what's the feeling like after this tournament in particular? Is there a different level of tired that a PGA Tour player goes through when they do have that long weekend where it goes to the bitter end and there's a lot extra that goes with it? Yeah, certainly. There's there's probably more mental exhaustion than anything. It's uh, you know it's a long week, especially with those with those crowds being contention. Just takes seems to take more out of you. Um, you know, Monday, you know, we decided just to stay home and not travel over to, to LA until yesterday morning or Tuesday morning. So, um, you know, it was it was good to just kind of relax and try to try to recharge, kind of reflect a bit um, on what happened and, and get ready for this this week's event. Um, so yeah, it's 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 kind of a balance because I want to prepare for this event and, and play as well as I can, but um, you kind of have to prioritize your energy and and get that back to as much as possible. Okay, we got to ask you about that crowd because we look through the screen and through the phone and it looks absolutely unhinged, electric. You hear the legendary <laughs> sixteen, you know that it's going to be an experience. What's it like being there? If you can try to put it into words. Yeah, you know it's really our only arena type atmosphere especially 16. I think, you know, I read somewhere it holds about 17,000. So it's, <laughs> it's something we don't get to experience very often in, in golf. So it's such a unique event that way. And Saturday, I think there was so much hype for it being an elevated event. That event in general seems to grow every single year. And it was, you know, I, my best description is controlled chaos. It was just, it was crazy. Every hole um, had so many people. Um, you know, I was the third grab, third last group on, on Saturday. So it was just, it was just insanity. Um, and then and Sunday, obviously, was crazy, too, with flying two of the best players in the world and being in the final pairing. There was probably more golf fans than on Sunday than there was Saturday, but um, just a lot of excitement. And so it's you try to get in your own world and, and block it out, but it's just a lot of fun to kind of be in that atmosphere. And it's probably the only one of the only events where you can really kind of relate it to other sports. Um, but uh, it, it's just a lot of fun. You said controlled chaos, yet somebody streaked multiple holes and belly flopped naked into the <laughs> pond. Did you get to see that experience, or was that before or after you? <laughs> oh, I saw plenty of videos of it. Yeah, it was. Uh, that seems to happen every year. Somebody wants to wants to go to jail for the night, but um, yeah, it's, that's just kind of the reputation of the event, and I feel like they're expecting it now. But uh, you know, I was I was quite impressed with his dodging skills. I feel like getting from mm. 16 green all the way to 17 pond was. Uh, was pretty impressive. So, um, other than that, it was, I guess, somewhat controlled. So the waste management open's been on my bucket list. Been on the bucket list for the guys that I that I hang out with for a long time. But there's one thing that like scares the hell out of me. Three hundred thousand people on the ground. What does it look like? Like logistically, how does three hundred thousand people leave the golf course in any sort of controlled way? Like, does it look like The Walking Dead or The Last of Us at the end of this? <laughs> and at the end of the day, at the waste management, like I'm I'm a little. That's the one thing holding me back. I just don't know if I could deal with that in particular. Yeah, The Walking Dead is probably a pretty good uh, description there. There's the bird's nest is nearby, so I feel like half of the tournament is going over there to to uh, to end their day in, in more ways than one. But um, it's uh, it used to be I'd tell people, you know, 16 was crazy, 
the holes leading up to it and 17 and 18 were also jam-packed with people but now there's so many people there's nowhere else to go so they, the front nine used to be pretty quiet but now you know it was five five people deep on either side of the fairway you know the whole day on saturday and that's what i think you know playing with the guys i played with and talking to other players they've just never seen it like that before it's it, it was definitely like a major championship type crowd feel um but just on every hole so it was just an experience and it's a lot of fun to play in front of especially when you're playing well uh, what's the craziest thing you saw? And, and this is a radio show nationally that's uh, going to be heard in the mornings. Like maybe you have to go to the second or third craziest thing you saw, but is there something that sticks uh, out? You're just like, wow, these people are nuts. You know, there was there was one guy that had actually he was he was very intoxicated, falling over kind of on the ropes, but he had the self awareness. He was he was double fisting a couple of beers, and but he he had the self awareness to dump them out. Um, and then proceed to fall over. So he he knew he had reached his limit. His limit was probably at least a few hours before that. But that was that was probably on the regular, honestly. But um, <laughs> I didn't see the streaker personally. But that was that was a nice highlight this year of, of somebody doing something incredibly stupid, but <laughs> pretty funny. <laughs> <laughs> so it's a, a rare occasion that the Super Bowl is also the same weekend in the same city, basically just down the road, um, in terms of being able to experience both. How much of an extra buzz was there around the Super Bowl? Um, and, and Sunday, when you get all wrapped up and you get to go now experience that, was there anyone that you knew was going to get to get both done? And how crazy would it have been logistically to try to get uh, to, to get the Super Bowl in on also the big weekend? Yeah, there, I know there was definitely some players that were, were doing both. I don't think, you know, actually eight years ago, my wife and I went to the Seahawks pass game because that was also in town. Um, I wasn't in contention that year, so it made it a lot easier to kind of get out of the golf course and, and head to the game. Um, but no, the fans, there's a bunch of Chiefs jerseys, a bunch of Eagles jerseys, you know, people yelling, who was my pick? I felt like the Chiefs were going to do it, so I lucked out on that pick. But um, <laughs> uh, yeah, it was it was a lot of fun. You could tell people were were kind of kind of bringing both together. You know, they're coming for the golf tournament and, and also there for the football. So it just made the event that much more more of a hype and a lot of excitement. So it was it was fun. I think one of the most interesting things about golf is the competition contrast. Like, what, 98% of the time, Nick Taylor can just go out and do his thing, be an independent contractor, uh, and, and just try to make as much money as you can and do as best as you can in every tournament. But then once in a while, when you're in a final pairing in a situation like you were in, it is completely different. Uh, do you think that brings out the best in you when you have that crazy atmosphere when it's ramped up and everything is completely different? Or do you think you play your best golf when you can kind of do it away from the limelight? Yeah, I think my, my track record is, you know, if I've gotten in those positions, I've, I've performed pretty well. And that's kind of where, you know, I've put a lot of work in the last six months because I want to get in that position more often because I feel like I have what it takes to kind of to handle those situations. Um, you know, they're, you know, it's kind of what you work for is to try to win golf tournaments, being those final pairings. And, you know, I love when I'm in those situations. I just would love to do it more often. So um, it, it's been a great start to this year. I felt like, you know, last week was a huge step in the right direction. But I've, you know, I've had some nice tournaments leading up to it. So I had some confidence and this just raised it to another level. So, um, yeah, I hope to be in those, that position as much as I can. And we got a lot of big tournaments coming up. So hopefully we'll ride this momentum and, and keep putting myself in a position with, with chances to win. Is one aspect of being in a final grouping in like a really big spot, 
kind of reading the situation? Like, are there some golfers who like to joke around and talk and, and, and sort of not take it as seriously when other golfers may not even look at you and just be so dialed in in what they're doing? And I guess, what, where do you lie on that spectrum? What, what do you want it to be like? How do you want to be able to act? Where do you find that your, your best self when you're out there in big moments? Is it super serious or is it just like, hey, let's treat this like another round? You know, it's, it's definitely a balancing act for everyone. I think everyone's a little different. Um, you know, Scotty and I actually chatted quite a bit, especially the first nine. I think when it got a little closer, it was, you know, you'd, you'd compliment each other's shots. But other than that, there was, you're kind of doing your own, your own thing. Uh, you know, my caddy is, is great at keeping it light uh, when we need to keep it light, but then focusing on what I need to do when I'm about to hit my shot. So it's, for me, it's probably somewhere in the middle. Um, you know, I think if I take things too seriously is when I can get to probably not play my best. So it's, it's been nice to kind of be in a situation the last, you know, couple months and coming down on Sunday, you know, in a good spot or a chance to win and, and know kind of what's my formula. And I feel like we're getting, getting better at what's, what kind of spot I need to be in to play my best. So hopefully that continues and we keep getting those, getting in those positions. This might be the biggest amateur question ever, but it's something that me and my <laughs> buddies seem to talk about a lot. And especially we talked about it again when we were gearing up for a Super Bowl party. I think Scotty Scheffler put one up near the grandstand. And it's just like kind of frustrating because we're all cheering for you. And we feel like he didn't get punished enough for that shot. So I guess my question is, does the PGA Tour punish bad shots enough? Um, I think it's just part of part of where the sport's going, right? The bigger you make tournaments, the more grandstands you need. And, you know, where else are you going to put them? You, you don't want to put them 50 yards from the green because then nobody can see things. So it's, it's part of the deal. Um, I've definitely been a beneficiary of a grandstand here, there. Um, I think everybody has in that moment. Um, you know, maybe he got a break there or not, but, um, yeah, it, it, I think it's just part of what it is. It's, it's, I don't think it's something that's going to change. If anything, it might get a little bit worse with grandstands getting closer and closer to the greens and, and being, uh, bigger, it's going to block more shots. So it's just kind of part of the game now. Um, so, you know, it is what it is. You, you I'm sure I'll get a break one, like one of those in the future and, and uh, somebody will complain about it, but I'll be happy about it. So we'll see. <laughs> um, so now five Canadians inside the top 100 right now. Golf can is having a moment, a much deserved moment, but one that we get to celebrate here, um, especially in Toronto with, with some of the connections that we have. Um, what's the relationship with, with the guys right now in the Canadian golf scene and how special does it feel to be in that moment right now and embracing it? It's awesome. I'm, I'm close with, with, with all of them. Um, you know, obviously with Adam growing up at the same golf club, we've known each other a long time. And um, Mackenzie, Corey, Adam Svensson, you know, all these guys we've known for so long. And for us all to be kind of playing really well at the same time is, is really exciting. And it is a testament to, to Golf Canada. Derek Ingram and their program in the last 10 years has really brought out a lot of great players and they've, they've moved up through the ranks. So it's, it's an exciting time, I think. You know, the Kane Open can't happen fast enough for all of us because I think it'll be a lot of a lot of buzz going on with all of us playing so well. So um, it's it's Canadian golf is in a great spot, men and women. You know, it's a lot of fun watching Brooke dominate on the LPGA Tour. And, um, you know, we're all, we're all trying to do our best. So it's a lot of fun. 
Uh, we are chatting with Nick Taylor, who battled it out in the final pairing with Scotty Scheffler and John Rahm at the Waste Management Open last weekend. A uh, couple big, big news items in the golf world this week. Of course, Tiger Woods is going to be back in a PGA Tour event this weekend at the Genesis, but also the Netflix documentary that we've been talking about for a long, long time debuted yesterday. Um, what is the level of intrigue and lead up around the golfing world and inside the locker rooms at PGA Tour events for this documentary? And sort of like, what what is it like inside those locker rooms? Is there a little gossiping going on? Are people talking about it? Like, how how are you approaching it? And how is the golf world and specifically the PGA Tour players approaching the release of this highly anticipated doc? Yeah, I think everyone's excited to see kind of kind of what what they have. You know, they've I know they've filmed a lot a lot of hours and they've cut it down to, to eight episodes. Um, a good friend of mine, Joel Damon's in it. I'm really looking forward to watching his episode and. And just see kind of behind the scenes of some of the guys that don't know that well, um, kind of how they deal with, with their day-to-day life on the PGA Tour. Because all of us are playing out here, but we all kind of lead different lives in a sense where the top guys obviously probably have a little more more, more luxury than some of the rookies. And it's, I'm curious to see how they kind of portray where, where that's what that's like for everyone out here. Um, you know, last year with Live Golf making an appearance and obviously – doing a lot of the news um it's going to be very interesting how they kind of portray what happened there and a few of the guys that are in the documentary obviously you know went over to play there so i'm, I'm very intrigued I'll, I'll be watching it um when it comes out and, and uh seeing kind of what it's like so it's going to be fun to see how it's portrayed yeah, it really does feel like the perfect storm when it comes to live golf uh in the pga tour and all the storylines of last season can you be bipartisan or neutral when it comes to live golf? Like if you're on the PGA tour, like are you conditioned to hate live golf or can you just kind of let these two sides go at it and you can just focus on yourself? Yeah, obviously we get asked about it a lot. Um, I think some of my position last week would be a perfect example. Everything that, that live has threatened has made the, the PGA tour, you know, I've benefited greatly from it. So I think, um, you know, I, I never, was approached, nor did I have interest to go to the live, but, um, you know, everything that's happened because of it, uh, in the last probably year to, to nine months, I've been a bit beneficiary and last year or last week would be a prime example. So, um, I, I don't think it's, you know, every guy here hates live, but I think they love where they play and this is where they want to be. And if guys leave, that's their personal choice. Um, kind of leave it at that. You said it was a home start for you at the Waste Management Open, so I'm assuming that you're living in Arizona. Is that the best place in the world to play golf? And if you had, like, your buddies going to a bachelor party, whatever, where what's the dream place to go to play a couple rounds of golf with your friends and just to enjoy uh, golf for what it is rather than golf being the competition at the highest level? Yeah, I've lived in, in, uh, in Arizona for 10, 12 years now. It's awesome for six to eight months a year. It's a bit warm in the summer, so we usually kind of duck out and head north. But um, there's, a, there's a great little part of three course called Mountain Shadows. Um, there used to be, or there still is with Skins Games. I used to play a lot more, but it's a really fun, fun golf course. It kind of backs onto Camelback Mountain down there, and that's one where I tell guys, it doesn't matter what level of golf here, you're going to have a great time. I always recommend that to people. Um, there's so many golf courses down, though, down there, though, in the area that, you know, you're going to have a good time regardless, but that's one I kind of circle circle for uh, for a group of guys or women. It's, it's a lot of fun. 
So, you know, you're talking to Toronto media where the center of the NHL hockey universe is, of course. Um, know you're a BC <laughs> guy. Not sure if you're a Canucks fan or just happen to live in the area, but the Bruce, there it is, say, um, saga that we just witnessed and the guy that he is and, and the way that the, the Canucks franchise has been going. Do you keep tabs on that side of your hockey fandom or have you found roots elsewhere? No, I'll, I'll follow a little what's going on. It's, I went to a game. I was lucky enough to go to a game just after Christmas in the fall. Um, yeah, it's been it's been an odd probably six weeks for that organization. Um, you know, I've, I've seen the headlines. I've read a few articles. I haven't been super in-depth with it um, once we kind of started up in Hawaii. But my dad grew up in the Toronto area, so he's a big Leafs fan. So I hear, you know, if I call home, I'm definitely hearing more Leafs, Leafs uh, news than I am Canucks. But, you know, I'll, I'll kind of follow both. Um, and see what's going on, but unfortunately the Canucks, uh, a few things have gone <laughs> not their way lately. So hopefully they turn it around. Does Nick Taylor's old man have an opinion on what the Leafs should do at the deadline? <laughs> Let's get him on. I haven't, I haven't asked him yet, so I won't. Uh, I won't put him on record. Okay, that's fair. Uh, over two million dollars lining the pockets after your finish at the waste management. I read that that was more money taken in than your two wins combined. Any plans there? You got to treat the family when you have a big payday like that, no? Yeah, I've, I was asked that earlier. We're not, you know, we don't really spoil ourselves too often, but we'll probably take our son to Target and get him a nice dinosaur. That's what he seems to be in right now. Nice. So we'll start there and and, uh, <laughs> and see what happens. But no, we're very lucky. So I'm uh, not sure what's going to happen, if anything, but uh, we have no complaints. We're very grateful. Good, clean family fun. Uh, congratulations on the weekend. Uh, we're looking forward to your season, tracking you, uh, tracking your season and what you get up to this year. And hopefully, maybe we'll catch you at the RBC Canadian Open uh, later on this summer. All the best moving forward. And uh, thanks again for taking the time, Nick. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks for having me on. Nick Taylor, Canadian PGA Tour golfer. We're going to tee up. This weekend's Genesis Invitational. Oh, where, you got Jenny plays over here? Where Tiger Woods will be hitting the tee box. Will he make the cut? Will he fail to make the cut? It's cold out there. You see the no. the, the visuals of Tiger? Warming up. Playing. Or what? Yeah, he's wearing like a toque and a hat and a jacket. Yikes. Since when is he's it that cold warm. in L.A.? I don't know. Staying warm. That's why the tournament is in L.A. We're going to tee that up in the wake and rake, actually. So um, speaking of, send in your picks at 590-590. No Toronto sports tonight or tomorrow. Long time here without your Toronto Raptors. But send in your picks, get creative. We're back-to-back winners, so let's keep that streak going. we got John Morosi on the other side of the break joining us from Dunedin to round up where the Blue Jays are at and what to look forward to here is spring training around the corner.